Good morning, everybody. You know, you look a little better with the mask. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I couldn't pass that one up. I bring you uh, greetings from Jody and Alex and, and Margo, uh, as well as uh, Old Town Community Church um, and your, your 2019 World Series champions, Washington Nationals. That wasn't planned. That was for Clint. Um, it's so good uh, to be back. I love what you've done with the place. The place looks absolutely fantastic. A new paint job, it looks like. It's just uh, beautiful. Uh, it's also a real honor uh, to be able to follow uh, uh, Daryl uh, last week. I caught a little bit of his message online and uh, love what he had to say about the sense of identity. And I know that uh, when I was here, uh, for the 10 years I was here, I always thought I was standing on uh, Daryl's shoulders and the shoulders of, of all our, our founding members. And so uh, it's just an honor to be able to come in and, and speak with you after him. The opening chapter of John's Gospel has a verse that, that just sort of has grabbed me lately. And, uh, you know, have you ever read the Bible and you, you come across uh, a verse and you're like, you know, in the past I've just run by that all the time. Well, this one has just, just really captured my attention. And in the first chapter of John, we see uh, Jesus gathering up his disciples. He gathers up Philip and Nathaniel, and then he tells them this. He says, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, can you imagine what that must have sounded like to Philip and Nathaniel? That because of him, we're going to see heaven open. Angels are going to ascend and descend. What an incredible statement. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite theologians, says that what Jesus was doing was simply this. He was saying that he is indeed that connection between heaven and earth. That Jesus is the epitome of heaven invading earth. And in him and through him, we see heaven and earth coming together. And indeed, they did experience just that, didn't they? They saw him change water into wine. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him feed the multitudes. They saw him raise the dead. And this was before his very own death and resurrection. Imagine that. You know, I think we would all say, everybody in here, everybody watching at home online, whether you're watching right now or you're watching later, I believe we would all say that we want that for our lives that we want for our lives this opportunity to see heaven invading earth, that we want to be a part of what God is doing in such a way that we bring heaven to earth. Just like Jesus said, when you pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it is in heaven. It's possible for heaven to invade earth. Let's not forget that as God's people. Well, uh, as you saw on the screen, uh, the text today is John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. I invite you to turn or launch your Bibles there. Uh, the text will also be on the screen. I'll read it for us. It reads like this. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, 
No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, let me just get this on the table for a minute. Even if you have never pursued the life of faith, if you don't go to church on a regular basis or read the Bible on a regular basis, there's a really good chance that you've heard of this idea of being born again. And actually, for people who go to church all the time, uh, this idea of being born again is often equated to what it means to be saved and what it means to go to heaven when we die. Being born again is certainly not less than going to heaven, right, when we die, certainly not. But being born again is also a lot more than about just going to heaven when we die. It actually impacts and it changes the way that we see the world and the way that we participate in the world. And that's where I want us to go this morning. I want us to root around this idea of what it means to participate with God in the invasion of heaven on earth. But first, before we do, let's take a look at the, the person of Nicodemus who came to see Jesus. Nicodemus actually had some good qualities. He was a Pharisee. Pharisees are positioned in the Gospels along with others as the antagonists of Jesus, and in many ways, they absolutely were. They were always trying to trip him or trap him theologically, but they also had some really good qualities. They seemed to have an earnest desire to follow God and to know the laws of God. Nicodemus was a member of the ruling council called the Sanhedrin. We would probably say that was like the Jewish Supreme Court. Now, you probably are aware Jewish uh, folks lived under Roman rule, and it was the responsibility of the Sanhedrin to protect cultural and religious life. The Romans allowed the Sanhedrin to have authority in all of those matters, and one of the responsibilities of the Jewish ruling council was to check out would-be uh, prophets or to check out those who would claim they would be a Messiah because the last thing they wanted was a populist insurrection against Rome. The, the religious leaders wanted to keep the balance of power just the way it was. So Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And, and that is often what uh, we, we stick on here. Why did he come to Jesus at night? Well, it could simply be that's when rabbis engaged in theological dialogue often. Or it could also be because Jesus had already caused a stir and he didn't want to raise another commotion. Or he was personally curious, and he went under the cover of darkness as part of his own journey. Maybe he wanted to check out Jesus. Maybe he was drawn to Jesus, but didn't want to risk his reputation. As we read through the rest of John, we see that he was very much drawn to Jesus. In the, the last part of chapter 7, we see him defending sort of a, a due process for Jesus as Jesus was being questioned. And after Jesus died, it was Nicodemus who brought 75 pounds of spices. Okay, that's heavy. 75 pounds of spices to Joseph of Arimathea and helped him prepare the body of Jesus for burial. 
my point here is we see, need to see the very human side of Nicodemus in this question. He's curious. He's respectful of Jesus. And yet, as you can see as this chapter unfolds, he is struggling. He approached Jesus, maybe in the way that many of us do at first. Curious, but not sure we want to go all in. Respectful of how God has worked in the life of Jesus, but not sure if we should elevate Jesus to divine status. Drawn to the beauty, the vulnerability, the humanity of Jesus in such a way that we would defend him and in such a way that we'd go to great lengths like Nicodemus did to honor him even after he died, but not sure we're ready to leave everything behind to follow him. There might be some of our story in the story of Nicodemus, and it causes us right now, even before we get deeply into the text, to ask a few questions about our own story. Have we gone all in with Jesus? Have we elevated Jesus to his rightful place? Are we ready to announce to the world in broad daylight that we're loyal to him, that he's our king, and that we want to follow him? It's a good question to to ponder. So back to our story. Nicodemus approaches Jesus. He, he gives him props. He says, hey, I can see God is with you. I see you're doing incredible things. And what do you think Jesus said? Do you think Jesus said, oh, you know what, uh, Nicodemus, I, thank you. I really felt God's power on me when I changed the water to the wine and juiced the party. Or do you think he may have uh, offered up some sort of religious jargon and said something like, you know, glory be, hallelujah, thank you, glad, glad that all happened? No, no. He looked at Nicodemus and he said, platitudes, schmatitudes. No, that's not in there. Don't look for that and don't write me. But he says, you can't see the kingdom of God. You can't see heaven invading earth. You can't see what God is up to unless you have been born again. This had to shock Nicodemus. It had to absolutely shock him. It was clear he just didn't get it. Bless his heart. Have you ever just been that way? Somebody says something to you and you just don't get it? There's this young guy in his his middle to late 20s, and uh, he got married, but when he was growing up, he was just absolutely spoiled by his parents. They didn't make him do any chores, didn't make him work any at all. Uh, and when he got to college, they even, they even hired a housekeeper to clean his room and to do his laundry. Well, he ends up getting married. And they, he and his new wife, they go on their honeymoon. And they come back and they just dump all the, the dirty laundry in the laundry room. And she says, you need to do the laundry. And he says, I don't know how. And she just leaves the laundry room and says, well, you're going to have to figure it out. He pulls up his favorite T-shirt right away. And he yells in the other room. He says, how do I wash my favorite T-shirt? And she said, what does the label say? He said, UVA. (laughs) He just didn't get it. You know, wash cold, dry, you know, hang up, whatever. Well, maybe we can understand why Nicodemus didn't get it. As a Pharisee, he would have thought he was okay, spiritually, because of his pedigree, 
because of his ethnicity, because of his devotion to a religious routine. But Jesus is saying here that to see the kingdom of God, to be one of his followers, to be a part of what God is doing, is not about your pedigree. It's not about your nationality. It's not about how well you can run the treadmill of religious routines. It's not even about your good deeds. Remember what we can tell from Nicodemus? He was a pretty good guy. And so after he gets over the shock, Nicodemus has a follow-up question for Jesus. He says to Jesus, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. That was a question of a lifetime, wasn't it? We don't know if his tone was wistful, like he wanted to be born again, we don't know if it was cynical. The NIV actually puts an exclamation point there. A lot of translations don't, so we really can't know. But what's important is he asked a question. Let me ask you, have you asked that question? Have you asked that question? How can I be born again? My prayer is I hope if you've not asked that question, you will until you receive an answer from the Lord. My prayer is that God would even use our time together to give you that answer. And I hope you will seek it openly and honestly. Well, back to to Nick and Jesus at night. Jesus said no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they have been born again. Before we tackle the question of how to be born again, it makes sense that we would explore just a moment what Jesus means by the kingdom of God because he, he, he links them together, right? You can't be a part of the kingdom unless you're born again. And when you're born again, you're part of the kingdom, which has a radical impact on your life. Now, if you're someone who's not familiar with the Bible, this concept of kingdom of God may sound like sort of insider language. Let's face it, even people who read the Bible every day may know more about the magic kingdom than they do the kingdom of God. So let me just offer a few. Okay, six, and I see the clock. Rapid-fire characteristics of the kingdom of God. I'll go fast, okay? The kingdom of God does not have geographical, national, or ethnic boundaries. It does not. Christ is Christ for the world. So where is the kingdom of God? It is in those places on earth where, in heaven, of course, and in those places on earth where men and women have yielded their heart to the work of God in their lives. They've yielded their hearts to Jesus. And we see it alive. We see the kingdom of God thriving in the church of Jesus. You know, when we say the, the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we affirm this great connection between heaven and earth, and we confess that just as God's rule reigns supreme in heaven, that indeed it is what we want. We want God's rule to reign in fullness here on earth. So here we see the kingdom of God has no physical boundaries. No country owns the kingdom of God. Christ for the world. There's a beautiful, beautiful image of Jesus at the Basilica of the National Shrine in D.C. And it's just Jesus, kind of buff Jesus, but Jesus just holding up the whole universe. I love that picture. I absolutely love it. Second, when you're born again, your desires and preferences for the world change. My birth certificate says I was born in Greensboro, North Carolina. This is my 
physical birth address, the physical place in which I was born impacts some aspects of my life. It shapes my accent, for example. I cannot appropriately say the word B-O-I-L. I just can't. I just can't. I think a feast is pork soaked in vinegar with a side of hush puppies smothered in honey butter, a 32-ounce Diet Coke, and a hunk of my mom's pound cake. I had to switch out sweet tea to save some calories. Regrettably, where I was born, like all of us, brings with it hidden blind spots and biases from which I need to repent. I think all of us would probably say, When we are born again, we receive a new spiritual birth address. The kingdom of God, and it it impacts the way we see the world. It impacts our taste for the world. It impacts and shapes our desires for the world. For example, we want people today to turn their hearts toward God to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to worship and adore Him. We want the rule of God to impact how we live and how we think and how we see the world every day. We want God's rule to reign in the way that we handle our relationships. We want God's rule to reign in our marriages, in our parenting, in our thought life, in our hobbies, and in our finances. We want to love our enemies and forgive those who hurt us when we're part of the kingdom of God. We will seek peace and reconciliation because Jesus is our great reconciler. We will seek justice for all people. We will look for those on the margins of society and seek to bring them in like Jesus did. That's what his kingdom children do. We want God's rule to reign in such a way that there are no hungry bellies, there are no violence, there is no war. Think about it. There will not be hunger. There will not be war. There will not be poverty. There will not be sickness. There will not be disease. There will not be racism. There will not be injustice. As citizens of God's kingdom, that will not happen in heaven, and we don't want it to happen on earth. And we will do whatever we can to eliminate those realities while God gives us breath to join him in bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Being born into God's kingdom means your loyalty. Your loyalty is to the leader of the kingdom, and his name is Jesus. Loyalty to him is above any other loyalty in your life. It's above your family loyalties. It's above your ethnic loyalties. It's above your college loyalties. It's above your economic loyalties. It's above your political loyalties. We're in an election season again. It just keeps, keeps happening every four years. I just, it just does. I've heard people say on both sides of the election, they just don't know what they're going to do if so-and-so wins. I don't have a lot to say about that, except I know what Christians are supposed to say and do. I know that Christians are supposed to say and do, whatever happens on this earth, my king is Jesus. Whatever happens on this earth, my king is Jesus. And his gospel 
has cut through plagues. It's cut through wars. It's cut through revolutions. It's cut through political divisiveness. No matter what happens, my king is Jesus, and my loyalty is with him. And we're going to keep loving, and we're going to keep serving, and we're going to keep sharing this beautiful truth that rolls out in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Fourth out of six, being born again means we live in obedience to our heavenly father. We're sons and daughters of the king. We can trust our heavenly father to provide for us, to give us what we need, to be faithful to him. And God wants us to live toward him with joyful, glad obedience. I love that phrase. Joyful, glad obedience. A lot of times Christians say, I want to live in obedience to God, and it's just such a sour look on their face. We don't obey God because somebody tacked the Ten Commandments or the Beatitudes on the wall. We don't obey God because our parents made us sit in time out when we got home from church. That happened to me in sixth grade. Me and my siblings, we cut up so bad, my mom made us sit and look out of the bay window an hour before lunch. I'll never forget it. And it didn't make me obey God. God love, God bless my mom. When God has given you a new heart and a new life, you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You hunger and thirst for his righteousness in your life. You want to obey him because you love him. That's why you want to obey the other day, Jody and I were uh, on a boat with some friends out in the Potomac River, and uh, we were going really slow by this uh, dog park on the shore, and there was this, this uh, golden retriever, yellow lab dog. I can't, couldn't quite make it out completely, but this is close. And the owner was just throwing the ball out in the water, and the dog was just, just jumping in and going to get it and bringing it back, dropping it. It's just over and over and over. It was fascinating to watch this creature that God made and that God put in this incredible, innate desire to please the master. When you have been born again, you are a new creation, you're completely changed, and you're given this innate desire to please the king. Innate. So if you ever wonder what it means to be born again. This is one of the hallmarks in your life, is that you want to obey our Lord. Fifth, being born again means we're born into eternal life. Mentioned that already. Being born again is no less than being saved and going to heaven, but it means so much more. It means that we've been reconciled to God, and now we have the power to step into this new life that God wants for us for all eternity. Yes, to be sure we battle the flesh, and sometimes this War is intense, but we know we have the ultimate victory over evil. One day in God's time, when we step onto the other side of eternity, you know, have you ever thought about this? When we actually go to eternity one day, that in some ways it's going to be a mysterious place and a mysterious experience. In other ways, it will feel familiar. In other ways, it will feel familiar. We will recognize aspects of the kingdom because we've been trying to live it out as God's people here. And when we see Jesus, 
It won't be like we're meeting a stranger. It will be we're meeting a friend who told us that he has gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us. Being born again means it means that we have been born of the water and the spirit, as Jesus said in this passage. He said, you have to be born of the water and the spirit. What does this mean? Remember, Jesus is speaking to an expert in Jewish scriptures. When Jesus told this to Nicodemus, right, that he can't enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of the water and the spirit, he was echoing words spoken through the great prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, 24 to 27. I won't read it for us. Being born of the water represents the cleansing of sin through the blood of Jesus with his death on the cross. We see this beautifully represented in our baptism. No, water baptism does not save you. What it represents does. It represents the cleansing of sin through the blood of Jesus. And we're not just forgiven, are we? Being born of the Spirit means that we have the power of the living God within us that enables us to live in victory and freedom from sin. It means that sin no longer has the grip. It no longer has power over us. And we've been enabled by God's Spirit to follow in obedience by His power. So put this all together. Being born again means that we have taken Jesus into the very center of our being. We've taken his cross, his death, and his resurrection. We have been awakened to the rule of God in this world, and we are enabled to live in joyful, glad obedience to King Jesus forever, for all eternity, by the grace and power of God. So how can we be born again? Well, being born again is not something you can do. It's not like you can wake up on September 20th and say, hey, you know, I'm going to make it a goal in the fall of 2020 to be born again. It's a gift from God that we receive. Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. We are born again when God touches our heart through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And when we yield in complete surrender and say yes, we say yes to the reality that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Yes to the gift of eternal life through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Harry Emerson Fosdick was one of the, the great and famous preachers of the 20th century. And he said when he was a boy, he used to look out of his window and he would see the branches of the tree move and, and the wind touch his face. And he said, you know, when he was a little boy, he used to think it was the branches that moved the wind. And then later on, as he grew up, he realized it was the wind that was moving the branches. One writer wrote, that's the way it works with our spiritual birth. There are things we can do to open ourselves up to God. We pray, we study, we ask questions, we hear the word of God proclaimed. We open our lives with a willed commitment to Jesus. But that's just the leaves blowing in the wind. The wind itself, the mover that moves our hearts, is the Spirit of God. And how the Holy Spirit moves among our willed commitments is a mystery to our human mind. Let me ask the band to, to come on back up. And let me just ask you, have you been born again? That's not for me to say, but it is for you to know. And you probably do. You probably know if God has touched your heart and you've responded in obedience, and you've stepped into life in his kingdom. If so, this is really good. My guess is you probably also know if you've been pushing God away, 
and if you've been resisting his call on your life. You felt the tug of the Holy Spirit, but you have yet to respond. If I can ask you a gentle question this morning, why would you choose to remain spiritually dead when you can open your life to the Spirit today and receive the wonderful, beautiful, new life in King Jesus? I hope you will. Will you pray with me? And I want to offer, depending on where we are in our spiritual journey, just maybe a couple prayers this morning. If you've been born again, I want to invite you to thank God for your salvation. I want to invite you to ask God to help you to live fully and freely in his kingdom and to pursue the invasion of heaven on earth in everything that you do. And I want to invite you to make a list of people you know who don't know Jesus and pray for them every day. Pray for them every day. Just offer those prayers to the Lord right now. If you've not been born again and you feel God's Spirit pulling your heart toward Him this morning, I want you to pray. Just feel free to pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I admit that I need you and that I'm spiritually dead without you. I know that I need to be forgiven and I believe in faith that Jesus died for my sins. I ask for your cleansing forgiveness today and I pledge my life, my love, and my loyalty to you. I want to be born again today. God in heaven, hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.